Hi, and welcome to Rich in Relationship. And today we're with Jen McCaskill, matrimonial, matrimonial attorney from Red Bank, New Jersey. And she is protecting people during their divorce so they don't get screwed. How are you, Jen? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. I'm, I'm a little scattered. I just got back from Miami. I'm, technically, I'm under quarantine. I'm jealous that you're in Miami. Yeah, it was... It was nice to be in warm weather. So the first question I ask everyone is, what is it about your life? What is it about your heart? What's the passion that you have for the work that you do? Where does it come from? You know, I, I would say it originally comes from my own parents' divorce. Um, you know, it's, it's not okay when you're waiting for dad to show up and dad never shows up. It's, it's not okay when dad leaves and there's no money to buy groceries or, you know, pay for the electric bill. So it really stems from that. I, I knew when I went to law school that I wanted to be a divorce lawyer um, because, and really like my end game is, is the kids. You know, I, I really try to be the attorney that, if my mother had had an attorney like me when I was a child, my life would have been a lot, a lot better and a lot easier. So that continues to drive me and really kind of keep it fresh, even after all these years. I love the way you said that. If my mother had an attorney like me, that is, that is beautiful. And so, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today is really how can parents protect their children from getting screwed? And we're, you know, it's interesting, we're professionals. So this is kind of the, the buzzword in, in our world is, uh, you know, keep the kids out of the middle and all this stuff. But I think a lot of times when people are getting divorced, you know, they're so wrapped up in how do I get out of this that, and I'm going to do my, yeah, I'm going to watch out for my kids and I'm going to do my best to make sure they eat and get to school and all that stuff. But the, the experience of the divorce itself can be really all encompassing. So what we're going to talk about today is how do you not only make sure that they get to school on time and eat and all that good stuff, but what can you do, you know, from, we're going to draw from Jennifer's experience on what can parents do to really keep their children front and center so that they're really uplifted as much as you can possibly uplift a child in what is a traumatic experience for everyone involved. Absolutely. And, and, you know, here's the thing, right? So the divorce process itself is very traumatic for the people who are getting divorced, the parents, as well as the children. But it's like in a lot of ways, divorce never ends for the children. So it's like there's the there's the short term vision, which feeds into the long term vision. If people are really going to make sure that they don't screw up their kids by getting divorced, right? So a lot of times I see like, so I hear people all the time tell me, oh, I, I, I've stayed together for the children. And it, it makes it makes me crazy mm. because I feel like that's a rationalization for staying in a, an unhappy, toxic, dysfunctional relationship, whatever it is. And I explain to people that a lot of times staying together in that kind of bad relationship can do more damage to their children than it would if they got divorced, right? Because when you're a child and you grow up and if your parents are always fighting or somebody's never home or they have a loveless marriage and kind of live separate lives under the same roof or whatever that 
dysfunction looks like. If with the people stay married, what that does is it teaches their children that this is what a normal marriage looks like. Yeah, that it's okay to be in a marriage where people are focused on their own lives instead of each other, or where maybe where people have high levels of conflict and uh, and never really resolve it. You know, whatever's going on in the marriage, there might even be emotional abuse. There's, I have to say, that's the vast majority of what I see is someone is being very emotionally abused. And, and those clients are, are the toughest in a lot of ways because they're, they're afraid to make a decision. They're afraid to leave. They're, they're afraid to do anything because they've, they've been under their spouse's kind of control for however many years. And then I, what I say to them is they'll go, I don't know, you know, because they can't make a decision. And I'll say, well, if you're okay, with your child growing up and recreating the relationship that you have with your spouse, by all means, stay married. Mm. If you're not, then there has to be a major and drastic change. Either everybody goes to therapy and digs deep and works hard to fix it, or you have to get divorced. Yeah. And so, you know, the listeners understand, you know, emotional abuse, we would define here as it might be uh, emotional violence. It would be denigrating the other person consistently. I'm not talking about those little nasty quips that couples make from time to time when they're really uh, like on edge uh, to work or something. I'm talking about a pattern of denigration or a pattern of anger, uh, a pattern of uh, maybe even trying to control the other person. Or you might be on the receiving end. You might be feeling like you're always being made less than no matter what you do, you're not receiving enough, no matter what you do, you're always being kicked in the teeth emotionally. And it's scary. And it's scary. There's fear involved. Uh, so that's when we talk about emotional abuse, that's the context. And that is that can happen in little ways, or it can happen in really big, it could show up as physical violence. But and there's a lot of there are relationships that skate that edge of where there's emotional violence where it feels almost like you're being beaten up, but they're, they're not quite being hit. But the threat of, a, of, of physical violence can be in the air you know, because uh, the other person is, could be very, just really scary, uh, well, physically scary. You know, what I see is like, especially in people who've been married for a really long time, and, and I see men and women both as victims of, of emotional abuse. And what it is, is that you know, somebody's married for 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. And over the course of that time, the person who is the emotional abuser just kind of chips away, just keeps chipping away at their spouse's self-esteem, at their spouse's confidence to the point where the spouse thinks, I can't make a decision myself because I'm, I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for my spouse. And, and over that length of time, right, you can't be in an emotionally abusive relationship over a long period of time without some level of drinking the abuser's Kool-Aid. Yeah, you Meaning, start to lose your sense of self, absolutely. And, and deep down, they begin to believe those things that their spouse has been chirping at them over the course of a number of years. And it, it breaks my heart every time. And it, but you know, to be clear, depending on the level of what's going on there, that doesn't always end in divorce and it doesn't always go on forever. I've got a client right now who is the abuser. And he called me because his wife is in therapy 
and she's saying she's doing the work and creating boundaries and said to him you know what you met you probably don't know it but you're abuse you're being emotionally abusive to me and started to identify to him and luckily he's aware enough where he said yeah that's not right i need to do something about that so there but he's a really unusual case i mean her therapist was telling her typically guys like that never change or women like that never change but it, you know he's one of the few who's like no i'm willing i'm willing to change i'm willing to do the work and, and that is a rare thing more the more typical outcome is that people continue in that pattern on and on or that the wife finally says that's it i'm done i'm calling jen mccaskill <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that, that's exactly true. I'm actually glad to hear that you have a client right now who's actually self-aware and, and trying to change your behavior. A lot of times people don't have a good level of self-awareness. A lot of times they're just mimicking the, the relationship between their own parents when they were growing up. People have a tendency to, to recreate the dynamic of immediate family members from their childhood when they, when they go to get married and for better or for worse. So my let's say my client absolutely backslides into, you know, he fires me, you know, Rich, you suck as a coach. Uh, I, I, I backslides, maybe he starts drinking again because he's, you know, he's recovered. Uh, he starts drinking again and he gets really, he goes really off. And his wife, Laura says, I'm calling Jen McCaskill. What can Laura do to protect their children in that process? I mean, short of an order of protection. Well, so first of all, it's very hard to get an order of protection for emotional abuse or harassment. Mm. It's the bar, the at least in New Jersey, the, the burden of proof is, is high and it's a lot harder when there's a lack of physical violence. And especially when the control is like to, to prove the aggregate of the level of control is, is very hard to do in a courtroom. But when I have clients that come in and, and I literally have them every week because um, it is so common and pervasive. The first thing I say is, are you in therapy? And if they're not in therapy, I, I said, you got to go to therapy. Mm. Do you know what a therapist? I will give them names of therapists. Um, I actually have a couple of therapists that work primarily with people who have been emotionally abused and, and they're actually a good, really good referral source for me. Um, I have them go into therapy because they really need to emotionally shore themselves up in order to be able to withstand the divorce process. Because so step divorce... one, put the oxygen mask on yourself. Correct. Get a therapist or go to Correct. your spiritual leader or go to a coach or someone who's, who you feel safe with, who you, with the operating word, operative word being that you feel safe with, you know, which has probably been a rare experience for you and get some help. Yes. And, and, you know, a lot of times, right. So, I mean, I've been doing this for so long when somebody comes in to talk to me, I can tell kind of how ready they are to get divorced. Mm -hmm. and, I, and a lot of times with the most, I just had a consult last week with a, with a man who had been emotionally abused over the last 20 some years. And I said to him, I said, listen to me, intellectually, you know, that you want to get divorced intellectually, you know, that it's the right thing to do, but emotionally, you're still believing the things that she's been saying to you for 20 plus years. I need you to go to therapy and it needs to be weekly and call me in six months because yeah, I, he's just not ready. I had a, a woman I was working with who had a very abusive partner on the other end. And we spent a lot of time reestablishing her sense of self and setting boundaries. And, mm -hmm. and then she was able to focus on her child 
And she firmly believed that even though the, the guy she was leaving was really pretty, probably diagnosably narcissistic, I would say, um, from what she, how she described him, I never met him. She wanted him to have a relationship with him anyway, but she was very concerned about that. So you've gone to the therapist or whoever, and you've got the oxygen mask on and you're getting your sense of, you're recovering your sense of self and you're starting to see what you can allow to come in and what you can't, you know, for her that involved in the beginning, she could only communicate with him via email. Uh, and she wanted to do that because she wanted something she could show the judge if it was inappropriate. Uh, and we can go into a lot more discussion about whether emails can be edited or not in another talk in another interview but let's just say let's pretend that it's acceptable but she for her the thing was to not be speaking with him because he was so manipulative uh and so she needed to be able to read what he said to her and really think about it instead of reacting like her instead of which is what she would normally do is just react so she had that in place now she's now they're ready to deal with their children what's the next step from jennifer's point of view well you know it's 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 tough Right, because it depends on how many children we have, how how old the children are, how aware they are. Yeah, great point. So um, age matters. Age definitely matters. Maturity matters. Um, you have somebody who's been emotionally abused a long time, and part of their pattern of, or part of the way that they've survived the abuse for as long as they have, and what I always find is people who have been emotionally abused over a long term. They're always trying to run interference between the child and the other parent mm, yeah. and protect the child. But here's, here's what gets murky. They end up making excuses for the abuser mm -hmm. to try to explain it away. So when I see a parent, and my mom actually did the same thing, right? She didn't want me to feel the rejection from my father um, and so she would kind of say, she would say, he loves you. And then I'd be like, but, but why doesn't, why don't I talk to him? And then she would try to make excuses for him. But what that did for me was in my mind, he was this wonderful person who didn't want me. So when you talk about somebody who has a child and the other parent is emotionally abusive, it's a very fine line for them to walk for the child to be able to see the other parent for who they are and not rationalize it all away because you wanna protect them in the short term when the long term, the kid needs to understand who that other parent really is and that it's not okay. Or on the other end, be highly critical of the other parent, which is easy to do when you're coming out of that kind of environment. Yeah, that's a big no-no. That's one of the major things I yell at my clients about. I said, do not talk. First of all, let's be clear. This is who you chose to marry. This is who you chose to be the other parent of your children. You can't now unchoose because they're a jerk and you're getting divorced. So I always kind of set those parameters right away. And I say, there's no bad mouthing the other parent to the child within earshot of the other child do not leave your court papers laying around. Hello. Do not go tell your children, mommy and daddy are getting divorced because daddy had an affair with the secretary. No, 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 and no. But what happens is the person who's getting divorced and who's so hurt by it wants to hurt the other parent. And a lot of times they use their kids to do that. Yeah. 
Well, and hopefully the, the work that they're doing on themselves is going to help heal that. Correct. And, and so initially what I do is I run a lot of interference initially to protect my client. I'll, I'll, I'll call the other attorney. I'll write the other attorney letter. I'll say, no, no, no. All communications go through the attorneys. I don't even want them emailing each other mm -hmm. because I have to be able to, to give my client like that emotional space. That sense of safety. Yes. And let me, let me take the brunt of it. I don't care if they hate me. I mean, they can, they can take a number for the number of people who hate my guts. Um, <laughs> but I have to try to protect them as much as I can. And then all that also includes like, well, I get the calls, like, what do I do about the child? I don't, well, I don't want to send my son over to dad because dad's abusive. I'm like, no, you can't, you can't do that. You can't keep a child away from the other parent completely because then that's going to create other emotional problems for the child down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's worked best for uh, clients I've worked with who have this problem is they find ways to teach their children how to deal with people who have behaviors like the other parent without ever saying, and by the way, mom is just like that, or dad is just like that. So if you, they have a parent who's a pathological liar, then they'll teach their child how to identify dishonesty and how to respond to that, you know, uh, because their, their first instinct might be, dad, you're such a liar. Well, that isn't going to help anything because he's just going to say, what do you mean? And talk his way out of it. But instead, they give, they give the child the tools for dealing with people like that. Um, and in that way, they start to create a sense of safety. Well, in their own minds, at least, they feel more secure about their child interacting with that person because they're equipping them to deal with people like that. And, and it, it really starts with the, the other parent, right? So I'll, I have a client right now who's, because this is what happens when you stay, when they stay with the abuser for a long time, the children will grow up and either the children will identify with the parent who's abused, or they will identify with the parent who abuses. And then yes. they hit teenage years and then they, they'll start treating mom the same way dad does, yep. calling her crazy, calling her names dismissing her, having no respect for her, or the child will be one that, that lets people treat them badly mm -hmm. because they identify more with the person who's abused. Yeah. I have a male client who just went through that with his daughter is going through that with his daughter. And I had to keep I, the metaphor I say is, you know, when adolescents will try on the emotional clothes of both parents yes. until they uh, and see what it feels like. And eventually they're going to decide what fits better. And so it's, what you need to do is rather than being responsive or condemning, just keep modeling the behavior that you think is going to be best. And I promise you that eventually they'll, they'll find that to be a better fit. Exactly. And that's what I tell my, my, my clients. I say, listen, they'll be like, oh, my 17 year old said I'm stupid or what, you know, and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, because that's what your husband has said to you, but you have to stand up for yourself. It's not enough to tell your children the way that, you know, mom just spoke to me is not okay. So don't ever do that. That's the whole do as I say, not as I do, but it really does start with the parent. They have to change their own behavior to model that for their children. 100%. That's the most effective way that I, at least I've seen. 
Yeah, especially with adolescence. So how can people find Jennifer McCaskill? You sound like an amazing lawyer. And I know that because we've actually we've actually spent time together. We have. But you actually sound like an amazing lawyer. How can people find you? We, we've never had like a conversation about what you really do. We've talked about no. families. We've maybe had a couple of drinks together, but but so how can people find you? What's the what's the location? Uh, my um, my website is um, jjmccaskill.com, M-C-C-A-S-K-I-L-L, J-J. Yeah, there are a lot of doubles in there. D double J, I... double C, double L. Listen, my name is what it is. I didn't change my name when I got married. So I've had it my entire life and I'm not changing. Yeah. Um, and I can actually testify that there's some great videos on there. You know, Jennifer has put a lot of good answers to frequently, uh, frequently asked questions, FAQs on there. There's some great material and I encourage you to take a look. Thank you. Thank you so much for oh, having me. No, no, I'm not done with you yet. Oh. <laughs> I just want to make sure they can find you. They can uh, find me. Jennifer McCaskill. They can just Google me. Yeah. Uh, you, so the question I ask everyone when we come near the end is, what is the legacy you want to leave behind? Such a great question. So <clears throat> it's funny. You know, I, I'm a divorce lawyer. I've been a divorce lawyer for 18 years. But really, I'm not, I'm not a big advocate of divorce. I don't walk around and see everybody who's unhappy and be like, you need to get divorced. Like, I'm really an advocate of people living a happy life. Mm. Um, so I know like my, my time with my clients is going to be limited to the divorce process. Um, and I really try to set them up as best I can for the next chapter because I know that that will inure to the benefit of their children long-term. So I really am just, I, my legacy would be like Jen McCaskill helped a ton of people live a much happier life and their children are better for it and aren't just repeating the patterns of their parents. Love that. I absolutely love that. And that sort of goes with what we were talking about before we, before we actually started. Uh, we were talking about how the thing about parents divorcing is as much as they may want to be rid of the other parent, as long as the children are alive or either of them are alive and they're always going to have that relationship. That is not, I'm not encouraging anyone to commit murder, by the way, but you know, oh yeah, well, it's, it's so much less expensive just to kill the other parent and then I, don't, <laughs> I won't have to deal with them anymore. But that would be a disaster. Actually, all joking aside, that would be a disaster for the children. It's a disaster. You know, I, I, the people I've worked with who have really toxic people on the other end would rather have that person alive than dead for the sake of their children, no matter how bad they are. Um, 100% because yeah. what, what children of divorce are going to be least likely to get screwed up because of the divorce if they have both of their parents in their lives on a regular and consistent basis. For better or for worse, as long as they're not in danger, obviously. And they will learn the lessons that they need to learn. And, and it's not like, as we've been talking about the other parent, the, the abuser, like they're horrible people, and they may very well be. But the truth is that both parents contribute to the child positively and negatively. And there's going to, when they go to therapy, <laughs> which most kids do, no matter how good or bad the parents are, they always get to talk about both parents. That's how that goes. 
Well, that I always tell my husband, I'm like, forget the college fund. We should just set up the therapy fund because as much as we're really trying to not screw up our children, I, I'm sure we've made plenty of mistakes. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. You have been absolutely wonderful, super informative, and obviously a, a deep well of experience that you shared with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It is great to see you. And it was really my pleasure. All right. We'll do this again, I hope. I hope so too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.